two words that make me think about it is calm intensity. Um, a lot of times I find mm. that people get really excited and really want to go for it and they put all their energy into something, something, but they, you know, maybe burn themselves out or it's, but in a, in a game like that, when um, everything is kind of flowing and, you, and you're in the game and feeling, if you can, if you can stay calm, but also have some intensity with what you're doing, I find that that kind of puts me in the right headspace to kind of feel the flow. Welcome to the Well You Mental Training Podcast. At Well You, we found the importance of community in the lives and stories of athletes and coaches and teammates and anybody involved in the sports world. Ami Strutton Belanoff and Brian Alexander are your hosts. We're certified mental performance consultants who started a path towards helping others, namely athletes and professionals in the sports world, find a process to training the mental side of performance. Interview them where we tell stories of athletes or we to gain insights into their process. We've also started a mental training app called Well You Mental Training. In the app, you can find a clear model and practice to train your mental game on the go, starting with a self-assessment, a comprehensive goal-setting program, and then categories that support your mental training journey, such as confidence, motivation, focus, nerves and emotions, communication. It's a clear process that you can follow on your own with exercises, imagery experiences, self-talk tools, breathing practices, everything just in the palm of your hand. But here on this podcast, we're really excited to share the importance of a community around mental training and wellness for athletes. And we find so much of it is important in terms of that support system that you have to get through the tough times. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode where we hear an awesome story from one of our guests. In this episode, we invited four-time Olympian Ryan Bailey to share his lessons learned and life experiences gained from an incredible athletic career. As a former national team teammate of mine, I know him as Big Bales and as a force to be reckoned with in the center position. Big Bales shares his transformative experiences as a young kid choosing to commit to a goal to follow that would take him to many unforeseen places around the world in the sport of water polo. He shares his very special collegiate experience with his coach at UC Irvine and how great coaches help their athletes feel loved as people. We wrap up with his mindset and mental tools from the greatest moments of his career as he helped Team USA earn the silver medal in the 2008 Olympic Games with his calm intensity mindset. There are so many nuggets in this conversation, such as learning how to break large training tasks into small steps, using imaginative games to improve skill sets, finding lessons from the sports gods, and discovering what it means to be a great teammate. I hope you enjoy it. Just to let you know, as a side note, we had some minor audio connection difficulties in the last quarter of the recording, so I hope you can work through the few parts where it sounds like we are speaking over one another. All right, let's dive in. So 
Uh, Ryan, you know, I'm, ex- I'm really excited to see where this conversation goes. And thanks for joining thanks us. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks for uh, having me on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, you know, I know you as Bales. So, uh, you know, as teammates, we kind of learn, you know, we have all these nicknames for each other. And, you know, I had a ton of <laughs> nicknames on the team. So, Thor? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe we can just get started from the beginning and you could share with the listeners what what was uh what was it like growing up in the bailey household and how you kind of got interested in water polo uh, so I, I i the bailey household i have an older brother and an older sister uh my brother played water polo before me and he was the one who uh kind of got me interested in water polo uh my dad was the head athletic trainer at long beach state his office just happened to be across the, across the parking lot from the swimming pool and he would make us come to work with him all day during the summers because, you know, he wasn't going to pay for a summer camp and it was, it was what it was. So after we drove him crazy for several hours in the morning, he would send us to the pool in the afternoons. And so we ended up spending a lot of time on campus at Long Beach state, spent a lot of time in the swimming pool. And uh, that's kind of how it all started. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like you got interested in water polo from your brother, but you were around it all the time with your dad. Yep. And, and, you know, growing up, because he was the athletic trainer, we went to literally every Long Beach State sporting event. So I went to every basketball, football game. And, you know, I think growing up in in a household that was very interested in sports and seeing other athletes compete, and compete at a higher level than, you know, most people, it's, it kind of teaches you um, just what other people are doing and how other people compete. And I thought that was a valuable lesson growing up. Yeah. Yeah. We see that all the time, right? Sports are a vehicle for life and they teach us all these life skills, but just through the challenges and adversity that sports immediately provides. Absolutely. What, so when you were going to all those sporting events, did you immediately identify as an athlete or was that something you grew into? You know, I, I knew my dad played uh, football in college and, you know, he had six or seven football in college. Um, I always knew that I was going to play sports. I don't know if I identified as that exactly, but I knew that um, sports were going to be a big part of my family. Um, they were. Um, my older sister was eight years older and she was always doing things. And so was my brother. So it was just kind of one of those things that everyone did. And uh, it was always kind of a big going to practice and doing those things was always kind of a big part of my family. Mm -hmm. And I remember big Dan on the deck was one of our trainers for a little while. And and Joe was there in the, in the weight room. Yep. Doing our strength conditioning. And, and it was, you know, the Bailey family was, was involved. That's right. You know, I, I, that was awesome for me. Um, I got to travel the world with my family uh, a, a few different times because they would come on trips with us. It made my life easier. Um, wasn't necessarily, necessarily fair to everyone else, probably, but it was great. Um, we had a really good time doing it. And uh, I mean, it, it, it was a fun, fun part of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really special when you get to do that and they're, they're great at what they did. So it wasn't, I've thought it was great too. good yeah, people. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so when you back up a little bit and you think about when you first started to say, Hey, look, water polo is it, 
I'm not going to play these other sports. How did you come to that realization? So when I started high school, my freshman year, I I started playing uh, summer football after I graduated from eighth grade or, you know, junior high. So I was playing football and I was always playing club water polo at that time. It was a three month out of the year sport. The other nine months you'd have to swim. But I was going to be the biggest freshman in my high school, probably. Okay. So I went out and was uh, mucking around with football, did the whole summer practice. And right before school started, the football coach came to me and said, hey, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to you can't play both. You have to make a decision. And I was like, OK, I'll play water polo. And the guy would bug me weekly. The football coach would. He would you should have played football. You know, it's not too late. You can always do this. And I was like, nah, I'm pretty happy with my decision. Um, but I was, I would have tried to play both probably if he would have let me get away with it. Yeah, I bet. Right. But, but being, there's that pressure on campus, right? Especially when you've got a big frame and the football coach has their eyes on you, but yeah. you know, it was, how big was water polo at the high school you went to? It was terrible. Um, I, it, we were, were, it was not a big sport at all. Um, the good news is the football team was terrible too. So it really didn't make okay. that big of a difference. But <laughs> um, Yeah, it, it would have been fun to try and do both, but I, I think I made the right decision. Mm-hmm. It seems like it. But who knows where football would have went, but it seems yeah. like with water polo, you made a pretty good decision. I could have made some money in football, but water polo was okay too. Yeah. So were those the main um, internal and external pressures you experienced in high school? Uh, you know, there was, there, high school is different. Um, for me, my high school team was awful. So the, the thing I took from it and the, the, how I turned it into being a positive, I mean, we were third place in league, lost in the first round by 20 goals in CIF every year. Oh, wow. But I was the best player on the team. And in that case, everybody, all the defenses focused on me and stopping me. So it trained me to uh, be a little slippery, maybe be slick, and taught me kind of how to be the man because you're playing with a horrible uh-huh. team and everyone's trying to get you the ball. Um, and it's kind of a learned skill, even if your team isn't very good, that um, to learn how to deal with, being double teamed or triple teamed and learn how to get open anyways. And, you know, that's kind of how I frame it to myself is like, Hey, we were unsuccessful, but I learned how to uh, battle through some situations that, you know, aren't always the funnest. And now, and even on the national team and in college, I was still getting double and triple teams. So it really trained me <laughs> for, for uh, that scenario. Yeah. And your position kind of lends to that where everybody's trying to stop the opposing team center or take away that option primarily. Um, But it's interesting what you just said about being a high school age kid, right. And adapting and developing that mindset of, you know, I'm, I'm still going to get the ball no matter what you do, you can't stop me. So how did, do you remember any of that development and how you did that? You know, I, I've reached that conclusion through reflection. Probably at the time, I was probably just pissed. Um, okay. But you know, I I always just loved the sport, and and so when I was competing or when I was playing high school, 
you know, it was a, it, it's not like nowadays where you play year round, you have off season practice. This was a three month water polo season. But what I found and what I would do, and I started this when I was a sophomore in high school is I would, at the time you could go to a junior college practice and I practiced with Dennis Bussell at Cypress college. I would just show up and get in the water. Um, I went to Long Beach, Long Beach city college and showed up to practices. I went to golden West and showed up to practices. And so uh, there was also a time when, when Ricardo would open the pool at Wilson and we would show up and just shoot. So even if I was out of water polo season or playing a different sport at that time, I would always find time to play water polo. And I always tried to do extra things. And it was viable for me because I got to play against older guys who were bigger than me or stronger mm-hmm. than me. And uh, so I would do after school, I would play my sport, which was track track and field my brother was a shot putter so i threw the shot put for a little bit and then after that i would go find a pool to get in and go play water polo mm-hmm. somewhere yeah that's awesome and it's interesting too because i i had the same experience right just just like chomping at the bit to get any opportunity to be in a pool especially with guys at a little bit higher level than me and even you know jumping the fence to the pool when it's closed to get a couple extra shots in and um, I wonder even with today, do the, do kids have that opportunity? Every now and then when I was coaching at CDM, every now and then I'd catch some kids in the pool and you know, what are you doing? Get out of here, you know, but, uh, I, it's a lot harder than it used to be. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But I think that's what it takes, right. To really get better at something, putting in those hours and just enjoying it. And, and, and for me, it wasn't even practice. It was just showing up and getting in the pool. And it's when, when it becomes something where it's not a job and you're just doing it for fun and then you do it without thinking about it and it just becomes part of your program, then, then that's when I think, you know, you get more and more comfortable in the water, you get more and more comfortable doing these things. And then it just becomes easier as you go. Exactly. Exactly. You said it really well. I mean, it's, it's not a job, right? When you just, you show up and you're just loving it. And so, so when you were, Maybe you could expand on your mental process of just getting in and doing the shoot around. I mean, when you were in there at high school or even later, were you practicing visualizing against a goalie and how you beat him or against a defender? Or was there another way you did that? You know, visualization for me wasn't one of my best things. Probably I, 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 I don't think I really use visualization through my career as well as maybe I should have. Um, but during that time and, and still even in national team practices, the way that I would um, keep myself into the practice or keep myself um, into whatever I'm doing, because some of the stuff is horrible, as you know, it's boring. But if I can create a little game within the, within the practice or a game with a few other guys that I'm passing with or whatever, makes it more fun to me, takes my mind off why this is a stupid thing to do or, you know, why I'm not loving this. Um, it makes it more fun. And I wanted to maybe trick myself into um, approaching it in a different way. And while still doing the right things and what I'm supposed to do, the technical aspects, but if I can create a game to make it more fun for me, that's what I always would try and do. That's awesome. You're just making things fun in your own world. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sit and, um, 
pass for 30 minutes, I mean, that's not fun to me. I mean, passing is the mo- one of the most important skills in the game, obviously. So then it becomes, okay, I'm going to make perfect passes. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to miss the guy's hand by one inch in any direction. I'm going to make a perfect pass and hit him perfectly every time. Now I'm going to throw a uh, knuckleball pass. Now I'm going to throw some, some kind of other weird thing where I can just change it, change one little aspect where it makes it more fun for me. I don't know why, but it does. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just takes my mind off why I hate this and why it's, why it's fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it's that novelty aspect of keeping things, kind of changing up constantly the variable the variables keep coming yeah. at you, so it's not the monotonous grind, and yep. and then you just lose your interest in you know leading maybe the burnout. Who knows? But I think you can you know refocus your brain and try and turn it into a, a competition or make it more positive. And I I know I did that almost almost all the time, and it really helped me you know do through some of these you know parts parts of the game that are important but that aren't the most fun. Yeah. Well, I think that segues nicely into talking about some coaches because in that, sure. in that, in that process of the monotony, right, you're usually being guided by people on the deck and the coaches mm-hmm. who are asking you to do certain things and do it a certain way. Um, and, and in, in 1998, you know, you were MPSF player of the year, um, eventually going into, you know, Waterpool hall of fame, but, I know college was a really key experience for you and, you know, with, with coach Newland. So maybe, you know, share a little bit about what that experience was like, even like turning those trainings into games in your own mind, but receiving that information and that connection with a coach. So, so Newland for me and, and, you know, growing up in long beach, everyone thought I was going to go to long beach state. I had a good relationship with Ken Langren, who's a great coach at long beach. Um, but what Newland had and what made me decide to go to Irvine was that he developed Olympic Olympic players. And I remember when I was 16 years old, that became my goal. I want to go to the Olympics. Playing in college wasn't my goal. Doing Winning a championship wasn't my goal. It was going to the Olympics. And so I knew that if I wanted to go to the Olympics, that would be a good place for me. And... You know, he, he had developed great players over time and he showed interest and recruited me. And so it was a really good choice for what I what my goal was. Um, and so going there and just seeing how he operated and, and Newland, for people who don't know, was probably 70 years old when I showed up and he was the hardest working guy I've ever been around. Um, we would have 6 a.m. morning practice every day. Um, including Christmas and Thanksgiving. We had no time off. It was 6 a.m. morning practice, and you were expected to be there. Um, the, the interesting part is, is Newland, you know, did exactly what he asked us to do, except he would show up at 4.30 in the morning oh. and be there before every every guy. So he would be done with this workout by the time the 18-year-old showed up. And he'd always talk smack about how he's working harder than you and why he's tougher than you. And this is a seven-year-old guy, you know? So if you're 18 years old and you're letting a seven-year-old pick on you, um, it's a thing where you just, he he ends up making you work harder because you're trying to match his intensity. And then for me, I improved a great deal in college. And a lot of it for me had to do with just Newland believing in me. Um, Just maybe I didn't 
believe in myself as much as he believed in me, but having someone you respect a lot, believe in you and tell you that you were going to be great. Um, it was awesome. I mean, and it really helped me grow as a player um, just because, you know, when someone you respect believes in you, then you start to think, well, maybe, maybe that could be the thing. And, you know, he was right. And he, uh, I, I love his work ethic and he, taught a lot of guys the uh, the same things and the importance of hard work. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of things you just said about coaches and coaching that we could unpack. Hey, Brian, one other thing I want to mention, which I find this is a super valuable um, point, and this goes back to high school, but my family, as we've talked about, was very sports related and very interested in, in sports. And so, you know, some days you'd feel like crap and you don't want to go to practice, but it was one of those things where you had to go. And then at a certain point for me, that flipped. And I was no longer trying to make my parents happy or follow along with their plan. I took ownership and taking ownership from being forced to go to practice sometimes when you don't want to taking ownership of like, Hey, this is my thing now. Um, it really changed the way I approach practice in sports. When I took ownership in myself when I was 16 years old and just decided, hey, this isn't your thing, this is my thing, mm -hmm. then going to practice was no longer something my parents were telling me to do, but something I wanted to go to. And I've seen it in some kids over time, but once, once you kind of make a decision where you're, not, you're no longer being forced to go where this stinks, why are my parents making me do this? Why is the coach telling me to do this? When I decided to own everything, um, it really changed my perspective and helped me kind of feel good about being there and doing what I wanted to do. That's that's it right there. I mean, that ownership piece, it's actually definitely it's actually based on science around motivation. The feeling like I'm in control. This is my choice. It boosts definitely. autonomy, which is not just that extrinsic form of motivation but it's the intrinsic and like you said now it doesn't become a chore but it's something that like i thrive on and i really want as a big part of me and um you're doing everything else to support the need to hey look like okay i'm organizing my school stuff or I'm, my relationships or going to the beach or whatever it is right so that sure i can do this one thing that i that I really love to do now. Cause it's, it's for me, it's not for somebody else telling me to be there. Right. I, it was, for me, it was a, it was a light switch. Um, and it made a big difference. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So that happened at 16 when you developed this Olympic goal and dream. Uh huh. Yeah, absolutely. And then Newland was my favorite coach I've played for, but he was also a means to end to reach my goal. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he helped me achieve. So it, it was a perfect choice going to, to go to UCI. Yeah. Yeah. We've found through the stories in this podcast that all these high level performers and really successful people have those really important people as mentors, coaches, leaders, just support systems in their lives. And absolutely. That's not surprising at all to me. Um, and he was one of the best. So I, I totally believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something that I think you said about him that stood out to me just now was he believed in me maybe more than I believed in myself and he could help me 
see that this vision could become a reality almost. Right. For sure. I mean, he had a different style than most. So he would, you know, I mean, there's a ton of stories and he, he was like a, you know, drill sergeant was a little rough around the edges, but he, you know, things he would do, um, he would write me letters every day. He would write me letters about the things I needed to be working on, the things I could improve on. Um, he would give these long speeches about what it means to be self-motivated and self-disciplined. And he would write me letters on water polo. And then he just always, you know, there were some days when, you know, I maybe um, wanted to get out and, but he always would say, Hey, Bales, let's go. We're going to work extra today. That's, that's what we do every day. And you're going to be here with me because I'm going to be here. And so, it's like, okay, when you have somebody, you know, a little nudges from behind to keep you moving and keep you working hard, um, he was great. And then, you know, other, other times he'd be like, he, he would just, he just really would believed in me. And, you know, if I was screwing up, he'd let me know, get me back in line, and then we keep going. Um, so, uh, I don't know. He's, he was a great guy. He loves his players. If you talk to any former UCI guys, everybody knows that, He's known for loving his guys. Mm. Um, everyone's an idiot when they're in college and they make mistakes, but he would always stick with you and uh, do his best to keep you moving in the right direction. That's great. That aspect of love. And it, and it sounds like it extended beyond just being an athlete in his program. For sure. Um, everything, everything he, uh, he did was to try and help his guys. And, you know, that's the other thing with coaches. If, if, if I'm a player, and my coach loves me, and I know he does. He really cares and wants only the best things for me, not only in water polo, but in life. But if I have the understanding that he really cares about me, then when he's rough on me or yells at me, it's okay because I know he really cares about me as a person. And definitely when you play for a guy like that, it's important because if, if he was just being a jerk all the time and, you know, trying to hammer you full time, um, it's almost like you have to give your coach permission and he earns the permission by loving you. And then it's okay. But if he's just going to be a jerk and just fire on you all day, then pretty soon you're going to turn and say, F you buddy, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But uh, it's kind of, you know, he would make you work hard, but you'd almost give him permission to work you hard because he loved you so much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really deep on a lot of levels. And you're like, even the idea of transforming into, you know, now it's my choice that I'm taking ownership over, or it's, it's this love and in, in this environment of like, Hey, you, you're tired. You you've reached the, you know, the hour mark of when we said you're going to train, but Hey, look, we're going to do a little bit more and you're going to learn to love this now because you're doing yeah. it here. Right. Like that all sounds like, but it's cool. but it's cool because he was willing to do it too. He wasn't asking you, to do this extra thing and he'd bail. No, he was willing to sit with you and do the whole thing with you whenever you wanted. Or if, shoot, I think Brian, I, I broke up with my girlfriend or something like that. And, you know, I would go, I would could go over to his house and he would sit and we'd chat about it, you know, and, or if That's awesome. you were doing bad in school, he would find one of his friends who lifted weights with us in this morning, who happened to be like an expert in that field. And they would, you know, talk to you about it and maybe give you a hand on, on uh, some new ideas or things you weren't thinking about. And it was, it went beyond water polo. Um, he's just a great man and 
I mean, all, all his ex-players love him. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and yeah, that modeling and, and not letting the old man beat you too is probably part of that that game 100%. in your mind, right? <laughs> 100%. Oh, you talk so much smack. It's like, I am 72 years old. I just did 100 pull-ups. <laughs> You're like, shit, Newman. Come on, man. There, it's not possible. <laughs> You're a whip, Bailey. You know? <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh, that's awesome. Well, so how do you think you pay it forward? Or and you, First of all, let me back up. I, I shared this with you before we started the podcast. And um, I think one of the ways that I remember you paying it forward is you and you said you didn't remember this. So I'm going to say it again. When I joined the national team, I, you know, didn't really have much financial support and we, I think we had just lost funding or we're losing funding and yeah, um, from the USOC. And um, I just remembered you don't, you gave me five, it was between $500,000 out of your pocket to, so I could, you know, have some food for the week. And <laughs> I did pay you back, you okay. remember, but, um, but I, I thought that was just so awesome because you were one of the the veterans on the team and I was young just out of college. And I think that was one way that maybe you paid it forward without even realizing it was just, it was just, you know, authentic. Well, but, uh, I mean, I, 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 like I mentioned, Brad, I don't remember. I, I wanted to make sure you did pay me back, but uh, um, <laughs> I, I, we talked about, you know, just being a teammate. And I think there's, when I was a younger person, um, so when you would come on the team and when we lost funding was 2006. And for me, that was about the time when I figured, when I learned, I think, how to become a better teammate. Um, when I was a younger guy, I was selfish, probably. I wanted to score a lot of goals. That was always a big thing for me is scoring goals. And in college, that was my job. Um, and, you know, looking out for number one and, always being the most important thing. But as you grow in the sport and as you get a little bit older, I think you start to realize that um, if you want to do something special in water polo, if you want to really achieve and, and do great things, it's not, a, it, you can't do it individually. Um, it's a team sport. Uh, you don't have to be best friends with everyone you play with, but you have to uh, hope for the best for all of them, no matter what, and do your part to, um, add your flavor to the team so that you guys can come up with something special. Um, our, our transformation on the national team um, probably started when Ratko Rudich came in. And Brian, you were a part of a lot of those practices. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, prior to that on the national team, it was, I mean, I mean, the great players, um, the 2000 team, which I was a part of, had a ton of talent, great players, fantastic. Um, but outside of the pool, there was a lot of like, okay, we just finished our you know last game. We're going to go get hammered. We're going to go have fun. Yeah. We're going to go party. And looking forward to the party was almost more important than, you know, playing great water polo. And maybe that was just my view at the time because I was, you know, 22 or 23 years old. But it felt like, you know, playing pranks in your teammates and and uh, doing some of the other just dumb things, bullshit things became uh, a bigger part of it. And then as I matured and as I got better, 
it became more of like, okay, these guys are in this thing with me. Um, this is a challenge. We're dying on a daily basis. Um, you mm-hmm. have to learn how to support each other and kind of build something that can be special. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're going through this grind together and, it, you know, pushing on all limits to what you think's possible. Yeah. As well as I remember this was so hard, just showing up and knowing, hey, look, we're doing the same thing that we've been doing. Um, and to your point, like, you know, how can we make it fresh mentally so we can push ourselves, you know, the gamification piece? There's a lot of games. Um, a, lot, a, a lot of not thinking about the pain that you're doing or why this sucks. I have that mental problem. I, uh, you know okay, today, guys, we're going to swim 12,000 meters long course. And my first response would be, you know, God, this is stupid. Why would we do this? And then it becomes <laughs> like, okay, well, how can I break this down? Okay, so yes. 2,200, it's four sets of five 200s. And if I can, and if I can uh, break it down even further, I, I'm swimming next to, you know, Spencer Dornan, who's the same speed as me. Can I beat Spencer Dornan? And then if I, you know, do something and try and draft off a guy maybe for a while, then I'll end up swimming faster. And so, I mean, I don't want to think about the big picture. I'm breaking it down to lap by lap, and I'm not going to think about the full picture because it stinks. So I'm going to break it down even further. Yeah, Bells, this is perfect. And this is something that I think turns into a model around goal setting, around focus, around self-talk as you're training and, but more importantly, as you're competing, right? Cause I think all your, the training that you're doing is supporting the automatic behaviors and processes and mindset you want to see under the heat of pressure and competition. And one of the things that you just outlined brilliantly is how do you go from knowing, okay, the outcome is the most important piece and probably what everybody else outside of our circle and the team or outside of me is going to judge me on. But how do I break it down into process and actionable steps? You know, just with that swim set Mm -hmm. um, analogy. So, you know, like process over outcome equals results, but you have to train process, right? Through those examples, you know, like, Hey, okay. No one taught me this. This is just like survival, survival mode. Okay. (laughs) This is going to be terrible. How do I make this better for me? So I don't have to think about the big picture, you know, so I don't have to think about it. And that was, that's a tactic I, I, that I found valuable. Um, you know, the, you know, the other things, I don't know if you ever did this, Brian, but I used to have songs that I would sing in my head to, to try and up oh, my yeah. tempo because it's so oh, yeah. boring. But if you can like come up with some good songs that that always would help also. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of them was Bob Marley. Three little birds. Every little thing is gonna oh, be alright. <laughs> you know, even to this day, my song—I don't even remember the name—but even to this day, whenever I hear it, it takes me back to uh, to those days, and it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Oh man. Well, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of good stuff, but one of the things that a lot of uh, athletes don't have the opportunity to do is go play in other countries and get that kind of cultural life experience in a professional team setting. And water polo isn't a professional team sport yet yeah. in the U.S. Uh-huh. We'll see yet. 
but um, it is in a lot of other countries. And you got to play in Croatia and Russia and Greece and Serbia. Um, so what was the team dynamic like during those club seasons or in those experiences? You know, I had a couple different ones. I played for some really good teams in, in Dubrovnik. Uh, they were coming off a European championship. So it was literally the best club in the world. And when I went there and it was awesome to be a part of it. Um, all really good guys. Um, they had, you know, what we were talking about earlier, the kind of the team feeling and everyone trying to look out for each other. They had that already. And I think that's maybe even a part of their culture. So it's easy for them to be on a team sport. Um, whereas in, maybe in the U S it's a little more challenging sometimes. Um, but in Croatia had a great experience. They really taught me a lot about water polo and how to be a good teammate. Um, and it was, it was really a lot of fun. I mean, there's 5,000 people at these games with, you know, these giant ship horns and flares and, you know, if the referee makes a bad call, they threaten the referee. And so he never really made that call for you. And, uh, we never, we yeah, never, different. never yeah. lost the game. And then, and then I also had the opportunity, um, when I was in Greece to play with a lot of young players, um, and, and that was interesting also. I mean, I was the veteran on the team uh, playing in Greece. It, it turns out that a lot of those guys I played with are the, now the Greek national team who is doing so well around the world. And But, but playing mm-hmm. with younger players, being patient, and kind of trying to be a leader on, on work ethic and just how you go about your business, being a professional. Um, hopefully they took that from me. I tried to, to show that to them. Um, but I'm happy to see that all those guys are doing so well now. And then I played in, uh, Russia, which is a totally different place. Um, yeah, I bet. Yeah. but Russia, those, they were great guys. Um, I hung out with a lot of Ukrainian guys when I was there. Um, really a, a lot of fun, really totally different place. Instead of playing weekly or, or two games a week in Russia, you would play like six games on a weekend and you'd play twice a month and uh wow it was a lot of travel and a lot of uh bad weather but it was a really cool experience and it it helped me grow in that you know not one person spoke the language you got to figure it out mm-hmm. and you know i was there with uh, adam wright was with me in russia and so having a, a you know at least one person to talk to and figure it out with was really helpful but uh Definitely a great life experience, um, but just Eastern Eastern European kind of culture, I think, bo- like leads you really well in team sports because there's a lot of, you know, doing your best yourself, but then also being supportive of, of your of your neighbor. Uh, and I think maybe those mm. ex communist ex um, Eastern European countries have that built in just because of their history, and so you start mm. to kind of see how how they go about their business and it, it kind of rubs off on and, and makes you helps to make you a better teammate. Um, at least that was, that's my takeaway from it. And, and then the other thing you yeah. realize is even though these places are very different than California or Southern California, they're very different places. There's a few universal things that everybody cares about. And it's, you know, you want to, you know, you want, you know, your family to be safe. You want to be able to make a living and, and you want to be happy in your life. And I don't care where you are. Those things are always true. And those common threads 
uh, you can take with you and, and you can at least have something to talk about with these guys because it's always the same wherever you are. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing too, with all the language differences and, you know, you think about how different these cultures really are and just climates, even yep. the weather and quality of life, how, how similar they actually are when you, when you get to know yeah, the people. You, you, you can, uh, you know, this, it's turning into a theme, but you break it down into smaller pieces and I, I can get along with anybody. Um, I don't want to talk politics. I'm a sportsman. I don't, I only know about sports, but, uh, uh-huh. uh other than that, um, you can get along with anyone because everybody feels the same way about, you know, their family making money and just being able to live well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I share the same experience too. It, it's the language of sport is just universal and brings the world sure. together. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's awesome. You played on some of the best club teams in the sport around the world, which is pretty amazing from, you know, an American point of view, right? Cause there's a lot of other American water polo players who didn't get to play on, you know, you Dubrovnik or, you know, was Dino it Dinamo? Where you were in partisan Belgrade. Dinamo. Yeah. And partisan, you know, those are some of the best teams. So um, bringing that experience now back to the U S Olympic team. And you think about some of the great successes you had with the USA team, um, and your, even your professional clubs, you know, what have been some of those moments for you? Uh, you know, we, we won a lot of games. Uh, the best team I played on was probably that team in Partizan who was one that, you know, a hundred, almost a hundred percent of the current Serbian national team was a member of that team. Um, so I knew all those guys really well. Um, that team was unbelievable. We lost probably four games in two years. Um, and that, th- that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I don't know. The, the, that was one of the highlights for me is just playing on great teams with great players and being able to fit in and, and be a part of the team. Um, but one of my favorite experiences was a guy named Igor Milanovic. And Igor mm-hmm. is the greatest player to ever play the game. I mean, some people say it's SDRD. Igor is my guy. First, Igor is okay. 6'9". He's this Yugoslavian, like, superstar in 84 and 88, has two gold medals. And the thing about Igor, though, he's a little bit crazy. So I- Igor uh, spent, was, is world famous for being the best teammate. One of the reasons is when he would go and play in this Malta Summer League, he would, you know, have the largest contract of anyone there, but he would spend all his money on partying with his teammates. He would pay, he would pay, and then he would get, you know, wasted and then show up and be the best player. Igor's a maniac, right? But when I was in Serbia, Igor was just kind of hanging out. He was, he, he's one of those guys who gets um, very interested in things and then has to become an expert. So at this time, when I was there, he was learning how to play the guitar. And then he was learning how to play tennis. Mm. So he would play tennis every day and then show up at the pool while we were getting out, and we would chat for a few minutes. I mean, he's a super entertaining guy, super interesting, has scored all the biggest goals in all the most important competitions. He was always the one who scored the most goals, or the best goals. And he would always talk about, you know, hey, as a national team player, all you can do is control the things that you can control. Everything else is, is 
a waste of energy. And Igor would always talking about talk about the sport gods. And when you're, you know, open and, and you're going to shoot the ball, but if there's someone more open than you, you always have to pass the ball 100% of the time because it's against the sport gods if you don't. And so he his big things were respecting the sport gods, only doing the things that you could control or only worrying about things you could control and then just having a, having a good time. And so the, from the best player in the world, the one I respect the most, just hearing these things, it was really, um, it really affected me. And it really tur- turned around and came back to uh, help me because, you know, Brian, we had a lot of challenges on national team training and, you know, decisions and, and where we were training and all these other things. But I knew that wasn't in my control, so I couldn't worry about it. And, you know, being a good teammate, part of that is respecting the sport gods and making the extra pass when you can. And, you know, so Igor, I'll always remember, you know, just what an interesting character. And from my favorite player to hear these things, it really kind of held a lot of value. And I took it with me from him. Man, this guy sounds Dude, like a sports a psychologist. The guy's insane. <laughs> he's a lot of fun to hang out with too. Um, but he, he just is one of a kind. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so this this sport gods honoring and respecting the sport, and you know, part of that is your teammates and their work, but controlling what you can control within all of that. I mean, that's the basics and the essence of performance, right? It's like that's everything right there, and it's it to I mean, work for him. Stud. And, and he, like- you know, I think he went on after I left the club to be the coach, and they won you know a couple European titles and. And I don't know where he is now, but he uh, definitely one of my favorite water polo people that I've met. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So with, with the, the national team, bringing those lessons back and the Olympic team, what, what are some of the greatest moments you remember? Well, definitely from, the semifinal in 2008. Um, uh, literally, we had lost 50 games in a row to Serbia. I mean, you know, we had some, some good luck against Hungary and we beat them a couple times here and there. Um, but we never, ever beat Serbia. I mean, we tied them one time in 2003 at a world championships, but that was about our only success. And then, you know, we lost to them at the 2008 Olympics. Um, but it was close. We were, you know, we held our, we held our own. And then in that crossover in the semifinal game to go to the gold medal game, uh, we put it together and played our best game and we kicked the shit out of them excuse me, but we crushed them. We won 10 to mm. five and everybody was on fire and played a great game. And so it was kind of the, the culmination for me of my career, because as you know, Brian, we, we, we suffered a lot uh, in the Ratco years and he taught us a lot about being tough and, and grinding it out. And so I think that kind of bore fr- or bared fruit in 2008 and, um, it was really satisfying to uh, to have that moment with the you know the team, and we f- earned it. Mm. I mean, we worked harder than any, any other team. I'm convinced, um, and we earned it. And uh, it was really it was really uh, my definitely my career highlight. A gold medal game was great. The first half tried to outscore the Hungarians, which is never a good idea, and. Uh, so, but, but definitely that semifinal was, was pretty sweet. Yeah. I remember, you know, that was the last one 
pretty yeah. much. I was an alternate for that team, right? So one of the last ones cut. And I remember waking up early in the morning to watch it online and, and uh, you know, just being amazed, right? With I mean, literally, we lost them 50 times, probably. And that was my that was my whole team because I was playing in part of yeah. at that time. So that was my whole team. And so what's what's awesome oh, is right. what they do at Partizan. Wow. Is if you win an Olympic medal, they put your poster up in the office. And so I'm up. I'm up at Partizan because I was a member of their team. Yeah. I'm the That's only American. So cool. Yeah. Wow. What an honor. So when okay. – let's dig into that game for just a second. So you said everyone was on. And, and you know, so a lot of times we talk about this peak performance okay. state. We call it the flow state. Um, was that you, – do you have any idea of what that was like for you? You know, flow state, first of all, is sort of explained as like everything yep. sort of slows down and the effort isn't really there and you just can't go wrong, right? You're seeing everything move so smoothly. What, what was you that know, like for you I, in that the game? The way I like to think about it is um, – or the two words that make me think about it is calm intensity. Um, a lot of times – I find mm. that people get really excited and really want to go for it. And they put all their energy into something, something, but they, you know, maybe burn themselves out or it's, but in a, in a game like that, when um, everything is kind of flowing and, you, and you're in the game and feeling, if you can, if you can stay calm, but also have some intensity with what you're doing, I find that that kind of puts me in the right headspace to kind of feel the flow. Um, if, if I'm super amped and jacked up and just ah, going for it, that probably isn't the best. Um, but if I can remain calm while being intense and working hard, then I can, I can get, get that. Yeah. I love that. And it, it sort of, it sort of sounds like mentally yeah. calm while yeah, being I physically try, intense. Know, and for me to be in the, the, that space, I definitely don't want to think about it. It's lack of thought maybe that get that puts put you in the moment like that mm. it's like don't think you're prepared trust it and you know remain you know mentally calm and and just go for it yeah and there it is right all those years um from high school you know being the man even though you're double triple teens and then through college with the great mentorship and guidance of newland and all those lessons learned and then you know, even, you know, your, your, your dad and your brother and, you know, that experience at Long Beach State all the way through these clubs, I mean, to arrive in that moment, yeah, it sounds like. it was pretty good. Bliss, it was pretty right? good. Like... Like, you know, the, the other thing is, is uh, you know, to, to lose the final game at the Olympics is rough. And at that time, it wasn't that mm-hmm. cool. I was mm-hmm. But looking back and reflecting a little bit on yeah. it, it was, I mean, definitely the highlight of my career. Um, but it was, it was just a neat time. Yeah. And we haven't been back there yet as a national team. We've got a really talented group of guys now. Um, I think that physically they can do it, but I think they got to put the work and do what we did and just suffer a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, a lot of what we're going through in this last year with water polo and sports, I mean, that's another form of suffering, maybe not the same physical, but mentally suffering and losing a big piece of your identity sure. and not being able to express that right on a daily basis in the pool. So, um, 
you know, what do you, what are some of the mental challenges you see these athletes facing and what kind of advice do you give them um, as a So as if we're a talking about the national coach? team guys, I, I, I was really happy to see that a lot of them are playing in Europe right now. Um, that's so key. It's, it's, it, it, I think, um, I think when you're first on the national team, especially because, you know, um, we don't have that culture of professional water polo. So when you first get there, you're awed by these guys. You're like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, Tibor Benedict. He's amazing. And the more time you spend overseas or maybe as a teammate and the more times you get to play against them, you start to realize, hey, they're just guys and, and you can compete with them. And I think in America, we have super talented water polo players. And I think they have to get to the point where they understand that they're just as good as everybody else. Um, they just need to get some games and, and be a part of it. Um, as far as COVID goes and just being focused, I mean, it's, a, it's super hard. I mean, if, if I was them, I would have just kept working out, been swimming on my own or, or trying to find a group to work out with. Um, and and it, it's, it's, a really a hard time for everyone, especially, you know, for our younger kids. I mean, I know in Long Beach, um, we found time. We, we did a lot of ocean swimming this year. We did stuff in the Bay um, mm -hmm. and just tried to stay connected. I mean, Zoom calls, I'm doing them for work all the time now are, are challenging, but that can also at least get you thinking about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, what I'm holding out hope for is that things go back to normal soon and, and we can all start doing our old stuff. And I think uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel and I think uh, we'll all get there eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. 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 Uh, we will eventually, right? This too shall pass. Uh, but to your point, right? Stay creative, keep in being connected with your teammates and with other people and, and finding solutions a hundred percent. Yeah, I know. Brian, active, I know. I know. Right? You've been playing tennis. I've recently taken up trying to learn how to play tennis. I was doing a ton of ocean swimming this year because <laughs> um, all the pools were closed. Um, haven't played much water polo this year, which is a bummer. But uh, yeah, it's like it's been a, it's been a war. It's been a mental war, and it's just one of those things where you just got to keep going. You just got to keep moving and and not think about the bigger picture, but maybe break it down into smaller steps. Like we were talking about earlier, if I can, if I can somehow find a way to keep busy, then maybe when I get back it, I'll get back into it quicker. That's just it. And, and like, you know, yeah. I know we're playing tennis and we got our outstanding mats. We're, we're going to see where that goes. But I think, you know, to your point about breaking down swim sets earlier into those smaller steps and even turning things into games when you're out there shooting on your own, Keeps you um, in the moment. Kind of keeps you, know, you mentally engaged. Where I'm not thinking about and, future um, or past. I'm thinking about this part now, which could, you know, even in turn, what we were talking about the feeling, the flow, and being in the flow state. I mean, practicing being in the moment and practicing, uh, like, making games out of things and not thinking about what's next in practice or you know how long I have to be here for. If you can keep it in the moment, you're always going to be better off. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I can't thank you enough, Bales, for being on here with me and, and reliving some of the, your, your journey and, you know, your storied past. And um, I'm sure a lot of listeners got a ton out of this that they can apply to their own experience. But uh, what's the final the message you leave is, for is our listeners? Um, love the people involved in water polo. It's been really good to me. Um, I love the water polo community. 
and it's a, a good thing to be a part of. Um, and then, uh, you know, just for the next 12 months, let's keep our heads down and get, get through this and then make it be better than everyone when, we're, when we come out of COVID. I think that should be everyone's goal. And let's uh, keep grinding away and getting through this thing and, and we'll all be better for it at the end. Awesome. Awesome, Bills. So how can people you know, I wish how I can people tell connect you with you I have, if they uh, want to reach social out? Social media, that's not my follow jam. Follow along. Um, but, I'm, but I'm on pool decks all the time. Um, I help okay. out a little bit at, at Wilson High School in Long Beach, and and uh, I'm always around. So, I mean, if, if anybody uh, has any questions, I'm happy to, to answer. You can go through Brian. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah. Thanks again, Bales. Really appreciate it. Hey, Brian, um, another episode, uh, another great conversation with Ryan Bailey, four-time Olympian. Um, so let's just jump into our mental, uh, mental uh, debrief here and discuss kind of all the nuggets he gave you. Uh, where do we begin here? <laughs> yeah. Well, the conversation really got going, and if you picked up on it, and as a listener to our little dialogue, Ryan and I played as teammates together for about eight to ten years off and on, and um, I always kind of looked up to Ryan as one of those veterans on the team and one of the guys that, you know, he's kind of a legend in American water polo on the U.S. team in a lot of ways, so um, I have a ton of respect for him. But it's very interesting to see how he approached training because we train together six, seven, eight hours a day. And when you're going through that Olympic team process with somebody, especially when you're beat down and tired, you only see things one way and you kind of make some assumptions, especially when you're competing against each other sometimes to make a team. But it was for me, it was just, you know, really eye opening to see how he approached training, how he approached competition how he approached mentorship and learning in so many ways and, and, you know, kind of, you know, opened my eyes to who he really is. Yeah. It, it, it was really fascinating to listen to you guys talk and riff because, um, you, you know, we're, we're educating and, and trying to download information to athletes about mental training and, and here's someone who was kind of, doing, he didn't get educated on it in the beginning and he was giving so many nuggets uh, in terms of like little, little things and tricks that he would do from a super young age to, you know, reach this amazing goal of the, uh, uh, you know, to be an Olympian at the age of 16 to decide that and put all the effort and work into that. Um, what were some of the things that stood out for you that you learned about him that you didn't, you know, even playing with him that you, you may have not known? The first thing that you just mentioned was how do you set up a motivational vision for anyone, you know, and it starts with what he said, full ownership and choice over his decision to become an Olympian. I think that's a really key piece for anyone listening and working in their own journey. Um, he grew up in a sportsman's household with his dad being an athletic trainer at Long Beach State and also with the national team and his brother being heavily involved in athletics and then he became our strength conditioning coach with usa water polo but one of the key things we know with that intrinsic form of motivation the one that really sits and, and 
within yourself and lasts a lot longer as you face adversity and trials and triumphs is that feeling of autonomy and choice. And that's driven from this theory of motivation called self-determination theory. And it's so important to find that in anything you do. And I think even his ability to turn long passing drills or long swim sets into games, that shows a lot of that intrinsic drive and how he turned it into choice for himself. Yeah, that was a big piece. I mean, just, we, you know, we obviously have uh, exercises that we, you know, kind of use through our app to get that internal motivation and how important it is to success. Um, That was a huge thing that obviously stood out to me in looking at that, what he was saying, you know, we always preach this human first uh, concept. And I think it was really interesting. And I want to know your thoughts on his traveling across the world to play, he spoke on universal things that every athlete, despite the language, the barriers, the culture, every athlete on a human level wanted, be safe, have a safe and happy family, make a living and and just be happy. Like those were universal things. What were your thoughts? I mean, I just, I just like that because you know, that that's, those are things that all athletes have to have. Yeah, he, and he's pursuing a passion, but he's learning how to be a professional in that pursuit. And being a sportsman, as most Europeans might call it, that's different than a lot of the approaches that we take as youth athletes in the United States. And um, as you learn how to be a sportsman, eventually you learn, if you get to that level, how to be a professional in life, not just in your sport. And that has a lot to do with the decisions that you make on a daily basis and how you set up your schedule and how you choose to stick with it, especially when you're tired and, and beaten down. And, um, you know, a big part of his journey, just like everybody else we've had on the podcast, is that he had a ton of great mentors, whether, you know, from his college coach, Coach Newland, it sounds like he just loved him you know, and showed love to all his players, but um, was was mean in, when he needed to be and demanding at the same time and had had his quirks about him for sure, but um, his players seemed to always love him. And then Ryan Bales, as I call him, also talked about Igor Milanovic with um, his team in Serbia, the legend. He's a legendary water polo player. Um, just, just how to control the controllables, and also to honor the sport gods, right? Yeah, that's um, why I love that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If a guy's open and you have a, you have a chance to make a pass, make pass the pass the rather than take the shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to I wanna thank you so much, Brian, for bringing Ryan to the podcast because it was amazing to hear you guys talk and riff, uh, especially because you were teammates. And I want to leave the listeners, if you don't mind, with a couple um, reminders of what we – can take away from Ryan because he gave, I mean, this is a four time Olympian. Um, You know, the big, the big takeaways were breaking things, breaking your game and basically life into pieces, you know, achievable pieces and, and doing that in your training and making your training fun, uh, play games with it, you know, do what you can to make it um, fun and manageable because training is really, really hard. And then playing and reaching your goals is really fun, but you've got to have both. Um, and that flow state, calm intensity, you know, I think he captured and identified the flow state in a, in a beautiful way in saying how you're super calm, but yet you're very intense. 
And um, his whole uh, kind of process really is something all the listeners should really take uh, to heart um, on, on those, you know, manageable pieces, I think was a big, big, big takeaway. And you will end up where you uh, desire. So thank you so much, Brian. Um, appreciate you uh, and your conversations with Ryan. you have a desire to be great in what you do and a keen interest in the mental aspects of performance, then you're in the right place. Well You Mental Training seeks to push the edge of the mental game through evidence-based practices and stories from athletes similar to the one you're listening to today. Your collaboration matters as part of this process, so please head over to iTunes and leave us a review with your honest feedback on the podcast. We'd love to hear what you have to say. If you are as excited about the mental training stories you're hearing as we are, please share this podcast with your friends, family, and teammates too. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WellUapp. That's W-E-L-L-U-A-P-P. And learn more about the work our mental coaches are doing through LinkedIn and Facebook.